What team are you on? We've just come to the end of another year at Wimbledon. In the final, were you team Djokovic or Federer? Did you watch the matches with strawberries and cream in hand or did you give it a miss this year? Were you so keen to support your favourite that maybe you went courtside or did you cheer them on from the comfort of your living room? I know lots of people who didn't support their favourite in tennis this year but will choose their winning team in other areas of life. When you watch a movie, which character do you back? Which side do you choose to be on? When it comes to politics, which party are you most in favour of? Which policies are you the biggest fan of? Whether we refer to them as sports players, characters or political parties, we will find that we will choose teams to support or even be a part of. For many of us, supporting a team often looks like standing on the sidelines, cheering on the ones on the court, on the big screen or in the House of Commons. We want our strongest competitors to be the ones that are put forward. We cheer for the main characters that we know and love and we vote for those who seem like they have the best policies. It's rare to think that we'd back the weakest player in a Wimbledon final. We want our best competitors put forward, whoever they are. And it was no different in the story that we've just seen. We've got two teams, the Israelites and the Philistines. We're 40 days into the battle and every day so far, the strongest Philistine, often a giant, has taken his stand ready for a fight. Their tactic was this. Each team puts their strongest competitor forward and those two will fight to death. It minimised bloodshed and, in theory, got the battle over and done with a lot quicker. However, each team was camped out at opposite sides of the valley and whoever rushed down first would be at a disadvantage. Therefore, for 40 days, both teams were stationary and stagnant. There was no battle happening, but there was a lot of waiting. In their eyes, this was the best strategy, the best form of preparation, to just stand still on opposite camps, waiting for something to happen. They took the battle into their own hands, and by doing that, they did nothing. They stood like passive spectators, standing still through fear of losing, invested in their team, but watching on the sidelines. Meanwhile, our beloved shepherd boy David is in the fields tending to his sheep, as well as running food and drink to people in his camp just as as he's been asked to do. He's got the lowest job. He's worked like a treat, has a He's worked like a poorly treated intern doing the equivalent of the coffee run when he should really be in the meetings himself. Just as he was giving out the snacks to the people in Team Israelite, being faithful to what was in front of him, he noticed Goliath, a nine-foot giant placed ready to fight for Team Philistine. He immediately questioned the people around him saying, who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words... Who does this guy think he is? When the rest of Team Israelite were stood frozen, staring at the giant in front of them, David had a different approach. He didn't see Goliath for the nine-foot giant that he was, but instead a mere man trying to defy the living God. When everyone around him made 
fear the norm. When everyone around him made fear the norm, David was determined to have the different perspective. And it was that perspective that gave him the confidence to walk right into battle. Instead of staying stagnant and putting off the fight before him, he walked with confidence, knowing that he was part of God's army and therefore the battle was God's, not his own. Now let's just pause for a moment. How did David get this perspective? And with the giants in front of us, how do we have this perspective too? If this story was in the 21st century, I'm sure people around him would have just just told him to think positively or be mindful or to believe in himself. But David's perspective didn't come from having high self-belief, nor did it come from believing he had the physical strength to defeat Goliath. Because let's face it, he didn't. David's elevated perspective was cultivated and grown from years of experiencing God's goodness and choosing to be faithful to him. Much like a sports team, David went through training before he could step onto a pitch. He had time to be prepared, to build trust with his God and to think through his strategy. He may not have been the strongest or the most qualified, but verse 34 tells us that though he's never fought a giant before, he has fought a lion to protect his sheep. He tells his brothers this, recounting the time that God has fought for his battles and given him the strength to act. His experiences of God's faithfulness in the past led him to trust that God would be faithful now. So though he was team Israelite, he knew that ultimately he was on God's team and therefore the battle was God's and not his own. So he stepped up to the challenge. David saw a mortal man trying to defy God when everyone else saw an impossible giant to defeat. Goliath saw a shepherd boy, inexperienced and underqualified. But little did he know that in fighting David, he also had to fight God. We know what happens from here. David gets a slingshot and Goliath gets a rock to the head. Team Israelite beats Team Philistine and even after his unexpected victory, David continues to point the credit to God. Without God, he wouldn't have had the tools and the preparation to even enter the battleground. It was in the quiet, unnoticed choices of faithfulness that David's trust in God was built. He didn't share his revelations from a platform and he didn't get the glory that his brothers did. But when he found the joy in spending time with God every day as he worked in the fields, this is how his perspective was made to be different to those around him. This is how he had the confidence to step up when everyone else stood still. This is how he pointed the glory back to God even after slinging the rock. I wonder if we do the same. How many moments in your life can you see now that were preparation for what was to come? How many times does something feel like a struggle but helped you to have an elevated perspective for the future? How many challenges can you now find joy in because you know they had some purpose? David knew that the battle was never about him, for him or won by him. But it was in David's humility and complete dependence on God that all people around him saw that there is an extraordinary God in Israel. 
One of my favourite quotes is from Babe Ruth, an American baseball player in the early 20th century. It simply states, Never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. How many games have we got ourselves out of because of fear? Because of what might be on the other side of the comfort zone? Fear keeps you waiting, stagnant, just like Team Israelite in the camp. How many dreams have you put on the back burner because of what might actually happen if you press forward? How many, t- how many people have you let pass you by through fear of what they might think if you were just honest about your faith? My prayer for you is this, that you know and trust God in the quiet times, in the stretching, in the challenge, so that when it comes to stepping up, you are so confident about whose team you're on that fear will have no hold on you. I pray that, I pray that you know that the battle is God's, But instead of being on the sidelines, stagnant and still, that you'd be bold in being a part of his team. Amen.